are continuing in our series, Agents of Faith. As you know, we've been looking at men and women in the Bible that were used by God in powerful ways, and not all of them are well-known people. Uh, this week, we're looking at Deborah. How many of you know who Deborah was? Okay, a few of you, that's good. Uh, it's in Judges chapter 4, and if you want to grab your Bibles or uh, grab the Bible in the row, I can tell you the page number of the Bible in the row. It's page 229. In your Bible, I don't know. You'll have to find that on your own. But it is near the beginning of, of the uh, Old Testament for sure. So like I said, we're looking at Deborah. And I have a question as we start this morning out. When I talk of someone who follows their calling, you know, the, the video right before I came up was talking about how God made us and created us in, in his image and he created us to do certain things. And so if someone is following their calling, what God created them to do, what qualities do you think of for that person? Persistence. Persistence. Committed. Committed to God. Obedient. Yeah. Um, how about courageous and bold? They're probably a person of vision, meaning they know what God's called them to and they're pursuing it. They might even be a person who has to have some sacrifice in their life, right? There are certain things as you're following, you're calling you, you may not be able to do those other things. You might have to just kind of use that as your plumb line to pick what you're doing to follow your calling. You might even get attacked by people or, or uh, spiritually as you're following what God's called you to. Wil Wilma Mankiller, what a name, right? Wilma Mankiller, tribal chief of the Cherokee Nation who lived from 1945 to 2010, said the most fulfilled people are those who get up every morning and stand for something far greater than themselves. Living our life for Jesus Christ does that, right? When we get up in the morning, we have a purpose far greater than ourselves each day as we follow him. And today we're going to see how Deborah did that, how she was an agent of faith for the nation of Israel and what characteristics she had that we can learn from. So let's, like I said, we're in Judges 4. Turn to Judges 4, starting at verse 1. We'll read the first 10 verses, and then we're going to come back and read more. So keep your finger in there or uh, keep it open. Uh, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Herosheth Hagoim. Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried out to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak son of Abinoam from Kadesh in Naphtali and said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel commands you, go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. 
Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. There Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with him. Okay, we're going to stop there for just a little bit. So after Israel had taken the promised land, remember Joshua and all of them went into the promised land, and uh, after he had died many years later, uh, many other many, many years went by uh, before the nation had any kings. And in some of that time, uh, the people of Israel did evil in God's eyes. They worshipped idols, and the people were oppressed by other nations because of it, because God would, you know, just let them be overtaken. And then after a while, they would cry out to God. In this passage, 20 years have gone by, and it's so hard, they finally cry out to the Lord. So God raised up judges during these times to deliver them from their enemies and show them the way back to God. In fact, in Judges 2, it talks about that a little bit. It says, uh, then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshiped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who had oppressed and afflicted them. So here in Judges 4, many years have gone by into that time of Judges. There's been several other Judges, uh, which include Othniel, uh, Ehud, Shamgar. And Deborah is a judge, and also we find out she's a prophet. Uh, she teaches and preaches the word of God to the people. In verses 1 and 2, it tells us that Israel did evil. And then it says that the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin the king of Canaan. And that is an interesting phrase, isn't it? That God would sell the people of Israel into one of their adversaries' hands. But what that means is that God gave that nation of Israel entirely into the power of the king of Canaan. And part of the oppression that the people feel has to do with the commander of the Canaanite army, Sisera. And it tells us in here that he has 900 chariots. Well, that's a lot of chariots, right? Uh, made of iron. And the army would ride around Israel and oppress all the people. I mean, you're standing there and this big iron chariot comes by. You're not going to argue, right? You're going <laughs> to step out of the way. You're going to do what, what they're telling you. And the chariots were the big cutting-edge fighting machine of the day. This is at the start of the Iron Age, um, probably. And the army was invincible, or so they thought. Israel, in the meantime, has this army of foot soldiers, okay? Seemed that they couldn't win, right? I mean, foot soldiers and 900 chariots, right? Over such a powerful army, it did not look very hopeful. And Deborah, in verse 4, it tells us she's a prophet, and she is married to a man named Lapidoth. This is the only time you see that name in the Bible. We don't know anything about him except that he was her husband, and he must have been a good man, right? 
because he supported her, obviously, in her ministry and what she was doing and in her calling. So she had a good husband, obviously, but that's all we know. But her calling was to be a prophet and to be a judge. And Deborah had said yes to God's leading. She was doing what God had called her to do in her life. So um, I've been saying she's a prophet, she's a prophet. What is a prophet? Sometimes they speak about the future. Someone who speaks on behalf of God. Uh, the prophet is in the gap between God and the people. Yes. Someone, someone under the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, all of these are right. Uh, someone who hears from God and tells people what God says. It can be about right now. It can be about the future. It's from God, though. And in Numbers 12.6, we read that um, God is saying, Listen to my words. When there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. So this is one way God communicates with the prophets. Hebrews uh, 1, 1 says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through prophets at many times and in various ways. So there's various ways God will speak prophetic things to people. <clears throat> Second Peter 1.21 says, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So all of those things that you guys were saying, <clears throat> this is the scripture that confirms that that's how God uh, deals with people who are prophets. And in Judges 4, we see that Deborah has that gift from God to hear from him, and she's operating in those gifts God gave her. So today, <clears throat> we're going to see how we apply this to ourselves. How do we follow what God gives us to do in our jobs, in our families, and where we live? So to follow what God gives you to do or your calling, you know, and that's not just a spiritual thing, right? That it can be a, your job or, or what your role is in a family. All of these things can be part of your calling, uh, sharing about Jesus Christ. So to follow what God gives us to do, what do we do? Well, the first thing we do is we have to rely on God's guidance. If we're doing what God's called us to, we have to know what that is, so we have to rely on his guidance. Deborah here held court under a palm tree and was located between Ramah and Bethel in Ephraim, and she gave divine guidance. Uh, she held court as a counselor, issuing judgments and settling disputes under a palm tree. So this is kind of like later you hear about people would, the judges would sit in the city gates and offer uh, rulings on disputes. She would sit under a palm tree. In fact, she was so well known and her ministry was so well known that it tells us here they called it the Palm of Deborah because that's where she was all the time when she was uh, giving these judgments and rulings on issues. She would sit there. So she was very well known. Uh, she doesn't lead the people by might. She's not like authoritarian or anything like that. She leads from wisdom and from character. She's listening to God, and she's been divinely appointed by God for that time. Deborah was the agent through whom people would expect a divine word 
regarding their present crisis. If you had a problem and you needed to know what God would say, if you went and talked to Deborah, God would give her the word for you. She was an amazing woman. God spoke to her and gave guidance about what the people should do. And at this time then, in verse 6, we see, after it sets the stage for us to let us know who she is, then it tells us she sent for Barak. Okay, let's, let's see a map here. We, we aren't told, you know, how she knew him, how well she knew him, or if God just said, hey, go call a guy named Barak. And he is from Kadesh in Naphtali, and where we see that is way up there is Kadesh. And then she's asking him to come on down and meet with her down here, right outside of Bethel. So that's a little bit of a walk. So she sent, first she had to send a messenger there, and then the messenger had to come back, and he had to come. But he came. So he must have known who she was, or at least felt like this was worth coming and checking it out. So in verse 6 and 7, Deborah tells Barak that God has commanded him, Barak, to take with him 10,000 men from Naphtali and Zebulun, two tribes on that map you saw uh, at the top. You see there's Naphtali and Zebulun's up there somewhere too. And, and they're supposed to take, oh, right there, the purple. See the purple right here? Is Zebulun and Naphtali. So out of those two spots, he's getting 10,000 men to come with him and fight a battle. Well, uh, you know, everyone would have known about those chariots of iron, and they would have probably thought, I got a spear, I got a shield, but I got nothing else. (laughs) This is going to be hard. But yet he was supposed to get these people, and then she tells him, after you have these people, go to Mount Tabor, and there God is going to give the army into your hands. What are you thinking if you're Barak? Are, are you not thinking, I wonder how that's going to work? <laughs> but, but it's a powerful promise, right? If Barak would follow what God told him to do, God had said that would come to pass, that Israel would have the victory. And God gives us promises today, too, in his word for protection and for provision, for deliverance and for guidance. And, and here are a few of those verses. Psalm 512 says, Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. Another promise is in Psalm 32, 7 and 8. Uh, David is saying to God, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you. This is God saying, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. So here God has promises that he's He's going to take care of us. He's going to protect us. And he's going to give us guidance. In Deuteronomy 31, 6, it says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified or afraid because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. So those are all wonderful promises for us, too, that that God protects us. He provides for us. He gives us guidance that he will never leave us or forsake us. As long as we are hanging on to him, he has got us. 
Today, we maybe aren't called to fight a battle at the Kishon River against the General Sisera, you know? But we do face things each day that challenge our faith. We do face things that stretch us in our ability uh, as we're following the Lord. Even when we're doing the things that God's word, the Bible has for us to do, we still have times that are tough. When we rely on God's guidance, though, and his provision and protection, we are able to do it. So to follow what God gives us to do, we need to rely on his guidance. And then secondly, we need to say yes to what God tells us to do, shows us to do. And Deborah here had definitely said yes to God, right? Her ministry was impacting many, many people. But she got to that place a step at a time by saying yes to the things that God would give her along the way. She didn't start out being this famous judge and prophet of Israel. She started out with small things, and gradually God brought her with her faithfulness and obedience to that position. Deborah obeyed God in the little things first. Her faith grew, and her ability to do what God called her to increased. So in verse 6 here, Deborah sent for Barak and asked him to meet with her, and he came, and he heard the message from God. But did he say yes? He says, well, okay, Deborah, if you go, I'll go. But if you don't go, I'm not going. Um, what would you do if someone told you about the plans God had for you, that God would give you the victory, but it was also kind of dangerous? Pray about it. To confirm, yeah. Would you feel any hesitation? Yeah, yeah I, I, I kind of think we might. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like if like someone said, God has sent you to, the, to Ukraine to fight, I would be like, uh, I got to hear that too. <laughs> but Barack here, he didn't, it doesn't say he prayed. It doesn't say he said, let me see what God says to me. She was definitely speaking on behalf of God, and people knew that about her in that nation. Barack says, yeah, I'm not going unless you go. <laughs> he was not strong enough in his faith. He was putting conditions on his obedience to what God was telling him to do. If we want God to use us to become who we were meant to be, we need to go for it, to just say, yes, Lord, and not put conditions on it. I'll do it, but only if this. Or I'll do it when this happens. We, if we put conditions on, that is not obedience. That's partial obedience, and that's not really obedience. That's like saying, God, I don't really trust you. And that's kind of what Barack is saying here. He's kind of saying, like, God, I'm not sure I trust you. I've seen those chariots. I'm not really sure about this. But if you go, Deborah, so maybe he was fearful or not able to hear clearly from God himself. Or if it didn't go so well, he wanted to have her along to say, she told me to do it. <laughs> See, here's the thing. We need to do the things that God puts in our heart to do. Things that are in his word, we need to do those without condition. We absolutely need to go by what the word of God says for us. We can't pick and choose which things we'll obey. And when God speaks to our heart and calls us to something, we need to say yes. 
because we don't have to look at ourselves and say, do I have what it takes? Can I overtake those 900 chariots of iron? We don't have to say that. We can say, Lord, you are almighty or all-powerful. Remember, as we started worship this morning, we talked how marvelous God was and almighty he is. And so when we know that that is the God we're trusting and he is leading us to do something, we know he will provide, he will give the victory. We need to say yes without condition. Barack said he didn't want to be the one in charge. He turned it down. So maybe he feared the outcome and, and wanted Deborah along so he could go to her like if things weren't going well, he could go over and say, hey, what do we do now? Uh, he didn't fully trust God, but Deborah says, well, okay, but because of the way you're going about this, the honor of the win will not be yours. God is giving this honor to someone else who isn't even a soldier. The honor of the win is going to a housewife who will take General Sisera down. Deborah was telling him, it's not going to be your troops. It's not going to be someone who's a fighter. To show the power of God in this manner and to help everyone know that it was God who was giving the victory, God was going to use this woman. And then Barak would see that he could also trust God in more battles. See, God's will is done no matter what. Regardless of whether or not we say yes, God's will is going to be done. But if we don't do what we are called to, God will use another way and other people to accomplish his will. And then we just miss out. How sad to know that God could have used you in a powerful way and you said no and missed out on it. God's will is done no matter what. So let's read on in uh, Judges 4, starting at verse 11 through 15. Now Heber, the Kenite, had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree Zeananim near Kadesh. When they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned from Herosheth Hagoyim to the Kishon River all his men and his 900 chariots fitted with iron. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabar with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword, and Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Okay, sometimes our obedience to God helps others too. And by Deborah being obedient, she helped Barak to do what God needed him to do as well. And Barak was learning from Deborah from her example. When he went with Deborah to Zebulun and Naphtali, they got 10,000 troops and they brought them over then to Mount Tabar and waited. So the next portion of the scripture, while they are waiting, kind of like meanwhile, <laughs> um, Heber, a man and his family that were Kenites, descendants of Moses' brother-in-law, and they lived in this little part of Israel that was near Kadesh. They weren't by the other Kenites, and they were kind of off in their own little compound, so to speak. And uh, General Sisera has this 
pretty large and powerful army. And Barak had only taken a had Barak only taken a few people with him, remember when um, Gideon, the army kept being made smaller and smaller, and then he had 300 men that went up against the enemy. Okay, well, had he done that with just a few men, I mean, God could God have won the battle anyway with just 300 men? Yeah, of course he could. But what would have happened is Sisera might have thought, this is just a distraction, these little annoyances, and he might have sent just a small detachment of his army to go squelch them, right? But because Sisera hears there's this 10,000-person army waiting for him there, he sends, it says he sent all his men, everyone is in his command, especially the 900 chariots of iron. It's probably a little overkill for the battle going against Israel, really, when you think about it. I mean, here 900 chariots coming against, and this army coming against 10,000 foot soldiers. But Sisera is obviously pretty impressed with himself and probably thinks that the Israelites need to be taught a lesson, you know, squelch the uprising. So let's go take them out. Then in verse 14 here, we see that Deborah gives the command to Barak and says, go. But when you look at the original Hebrew there, it says, stand up. That's what that means. It means stand up and go for sure. No more waiting time. And it's the same word um, as in uh, further down in chapter 5, there's this, it tells us it's the song of Deborah. They, they make a song about the victory. And in verse 12, it says, wake up, wake up, break out in song, arise, Barak, take captive your captives. So it's the same word as arise, you know, stand up. And then she says, this day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord or Yahweh, has not Yahweh gone ahead of you? And she says this as if it's already accomplished. It's already done. Because when God says he will do a thing, it is done. The things in your life, the battles you face, the things God says he will do, those, when God says that, that is accomplished. When God speaks to us, we don't need to wonder, is he going to do it? Really? Is, is that really going to happen? When he says it will happen, it will happen because in God's timing, it's already done. We need to see victory through the eyes of faith. So what things are there in your life that you're waiting on God for the victory? You need to see that Jesus is saying it's accomplished. God has already won the battle when you give it to him. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. See, that's why we can thank him for the answer, because God's already answered it. God's already taken care of it, the victory, the healing, the new job, because God, who is not bound by time, has already done it. He's already answered in the way he will answer. We just need to wait and see the manifestation of his power and his victory in our life. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. That's the hardest part. See, when Deborah and Barak and those 10,000 men went to Mount Tabor, it tells us they waited. So they're obviously sitting down if Deborah said, stand up and go. Uh, so they're sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting. And whatever you are waiting on, whatever promise God has given you, it doesn't always resolve or always happen immediately, does it? 
Most times, we need to wait. We wait on the Lord and we trust him. And we can be strong in the power of the Holy Spirit during those times of waiting and, and have the courage then that we need to be able to wait for the Lord. So the third thing about doing what God has called us to, well, the first thing, obviously, rely on his guidance, then say yes to him. The third thing is to trust God for the outcome. Trust God for the outcome. So Barak goes down with these 10,000 men following him. Deborah said, go, he goes. And it says, the Lord routed Sisera and all of his chariots and army. And in Hebrew, when you look at that, the original language, it says that the Lord brought them into confusion before Barak. They're probably not knowing which way to go. The Israelites just advanced, and God took out that Canaanite army. It's very similar to when God sent David and his army to fight against the enemy and uh, God went before them and struck down the Philistines in 2 Samuel 5, 22 to 25. So David inquired of the Lord, and he answered, Do not go straight up, but circle around behind them and attack them in front of the poplar trees. As soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the poplar trees, move quickly, because that will mean the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. So David did as the Lord commanded him, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. Same kind of deal happening here. God was fighting the battle. They just had to show up and go and fight. And here in Judges 4, Barak pursued the army of Sisera, and God went before him. And all the Canaanite troops fell by the sword, it tells us. Not a man was left, just Sisera, who jumps out of his chariot and runs away. It kind of seems a little odd to me. Here's the big commander of the army, and he runs off. Okay, so in Judges 5, we see more of what actually happened on that day of battle, how God changed a sure thing for Sisera into a God thing for Israel. And after the victory, the song of Deborah, Deborah and Barak sing the song of praise to the Lord, part of which is in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 5. It says, When you, Lord, went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Edom, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water, the mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. See, God had promised that he would give that army of Sisera into their hands, and that is what he did. And it sounds like from chapter 5 here that there was an earthquake and a rainstorm that bogged down their chariots and helped Israel to win. God can take care of it, you know? We just need to trust him. Both times, for Barak here in Judges, and then also in 2 Samuel for David, God asked the people to move first. And then he did those supernatural events. We need to hear from God and move when he says go to rise above fear and failure and know what we are called to do and be obedient to it. Well, let's continue on with the story. Judges 4, 16 through to the end of the chapter. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Harosheth Hagayim, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazer, the Canaanite king, and the family of Heber the Kenite. 
Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in, don't be afraid. So he entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone come by, comes by and asks you, is anyone there, say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. Just then, Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I'll show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera, and the tent peg through his temple, dead. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites, and the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. So it, it's, it shows here that Sisera saw that his army had been routed. Everyone is dead and, uh, or in the process of dying, and so he flees on foot to Kadesh, right to the tent of Heber and his family. And apparently Heber was out and not at home because it tells us that that's his tent, but he's not there. So when Sisera came, Jael, Heber's wife, came out of her tent and she invites him in. Now, obviously God, the Holy Spirit, came on her to have her do what she did because she actually was violating or breaking several social rules here. First of all, she should never have asked a man other than her husband into her tent. That was not a cool deal back then. She also should have known that what she did to kill Sisera violated all the fundamental rights of a guest seeking hospitality and protection. And lastly, there was a treaty between Jabin, the king of Canaan, and the Kenites. So all of these things, she's going against all of these things. So God inspired her and led her to do what she did. She listened to the prompting of the Lord. She said yes to God, and she did what God was calling her to do. She wasn't one of the troops. She wasn't one of the fighters of Israel. She didn't have a sword. She used what she had, a hammer and a tent peg, and she removed the threat to Israel. It tells us that uh, right away, right after this happened, here comes Barak, right on the tail of a uh, trail of Sisera, and she came out, Jael came out to meet him and then showed him Sisera dead on the floor of the tent. And it tells us that on that day God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan. So once, uh, and then it tells us that Israel pressed harder and harder. So that tells us that Barak then finally said yes to God. He saw all the, the things God did through all of this so far, and he went ahead then and they pressed against the king of Canaan, and finally won. In Judges 5.31, at the end of that verse, it tells us that after all of this, the land had peace for 40 years. So we all have areas in our life where people look to us to see how we respond, to see how we act when things happen in our lives. Uh, we need to have faith to follow God without conditions, and to live out our calling, to live out what God is showing us to do, what he puts before us each day. We need to rely on God's guidance. We need to say yes to God. And we need to trust God 
for the outcome. Would you stand as we close? As you stand, I just ask that you bow your heads and uh, just think uh, about these things, these points of commitment for us today. If you have an area where you know God's call on your life, his will for you, but you have put conditions on following it, just everyone bow your heads on this, but you are willing to do what he puts before you today, you say, you know what, I'm not going to put any more conditions. I am going to follow what God has called me to today. If you're willing to follow Jesus and to do what God calls you to for your life with no, without conditions, no conditions, not saying if or when or something else, if you're willing to follow God and be obedient to him, raise your hand. Thank you. And then one other thing, if you're willing to be an example of what it means to follow Jesus Christ so that those people that you encounter each day at work, at home, in your family, your friends, if you're willing to be an example to them of what it means to follow Jesus Christ by doing what God is putting before you, to be obedient to God's word and be that example, just raise your hand. Thank you. Lord God, we thank you for this example of Deborah, who had said yes to you, who did what you called her to do. And Lord, you used her in such a powerful way. Lord, I pray that we would be like Deborah, that we would say yes, that we wouldn't say, well, only if this, like Barak did. Father, I pray that, you know, everyone can, like, see when God's doing something and then join in. But Lord, we want to be part of that group of forerunners who do what you've called us to, and we're examples to those coming behind. Lord, help us to do the things that your word says. Help us to be faithful to what you put on our hearts to do each day. Lord, I pray that you'd use us in powerful ways too to influence others to follow Jesus Christ. Lord God, I pray we would be examples of what that looks like, that we would be obedient to you, that we would follow you each and every day. Father, we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to fill us up to overflowing each day, to be able to do what you have commanded us to. Lord God, I thank you that in our jobs, in our families, with our friends, in our neighborhoods, Lord, you can use us to draw people to Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would do that and give us the strength and the power to follow you in a way that honors and glorifies you. Lord God, bless us all with heavenly benediction. Make us pure and holy in your sight. May the riches of your glory abound in us. May you instruct us with the word of truth, inform us with the gospel of salvation, and enrich us with your love through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.